0: the San Francisco Experience Podcast. Brought to you by Jim Hurley, Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 24, Episode 18. Shohei Otani's $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Talking with Vince Gennaro. Shohei Otani, nicknamed Showtime, the 6'4", 29-year-old Japanese baseball pitcher and designated hitter, signed a 700 million dollar 10-year contract with the los angeles dodgers it's the largest sports contract in professional sports history with us today to understand otani's landmark deal is vince gennaro associate dean at nyu's Tisch institute for global sport and host of sirius xm radio's behind the numbers He's served as a consultant to Major League Baseball teams, and he's the author of the bestseller, Diamond Dollars. Globally, he's been a consultant to Yao Ming on the development of the Chinese Basketball Association, as well as Chelsea Football Club in England, as well as the Kraft Group. He joins us from his office in Purchase, New York. Hello, Vince, and welcome to the show.
1: Well, hello, Jim, and it's a pleasure to be on.
0: My pleasure. And Vince, Let's launch into Otani's $700 million 10-year contract with the Dodgers. It's a complex deal with a lot of deferred payments. Tell us about it.
1: Well, Jim, as you said, it's unprecedented. The structure of it is entirely unique. We've never seen anything like it, probably in professional sports, certainly not in baseball. And while it is the uh, largest deal ever for a professional baseball player and North American athlete, the, the number of 700 million because of all the deferred payments is a little bit of, of an overstatement in the media on how they're portraying this. I mean, yes, in the end, he will be given and paid 700 million dollars, but a rather bizarre 97 percent of that is deferred. Mm-hmm. So what's what's happening is for the first 10 years while he's playing, he will earn or he will be paid rather two million dollars per year. And for the, the next 10 years after his, quote, retirement, he will be paid $68 million per year, which sounds crazy. And in a way, it's so, certainly unprecedented. It's In baseball terms, we like to look at value of the deal, uh, annually, t- the average annual value times the number of years. So this is the equivalent in real dollars, in time-adjusted dollars, as somebody who's making $46 million a year for 10 years. So that still at $460 million, that is the greatest contract ever paid to a major league baseball player. But the one of the most unusual aspects of this is the, is the deferred payments. And one of the reasons why he's able to do that is he's been reported that Otani is making upwards of $50 million. And that's before he joins the Dodgers, of course, $50 million a year in endorsements. And I'm sure that means both here in the States, as well as Back in Japan. So that, of course, gives him the latitude to kick the can down the road and have this money come in much later. It also does one other thing it affords the Dodgers to count this towards the luxury tax, which is a cap that MLB puts on major league clubs, where if they exceed that, they have to pay a luxury tax penalty. And it basically treats this not as a $70 million a year deal. It treats it as a $46 million a year deal. So that gives them a little more room to acquire additional talent Mm -hmm. and make the team a winner while he's there.
0: Well, of course, the present value of $700 million today... Is 460 million. So that's where we come up with the 10 annual installments of 46 million, which would begin when he's 39 and continue until he's 49. And you're right, in a sense, he's sort of annuitized, if you will, this cash stream so that. By the time he's 39, he may still be playing for the Dodgers. Who knows? But at that point, he'll be in the in the latter stages of his career. I guess some of his sponsorships will probably be won't be quite as uh, exciting as they are today. So, in a sense, I saw it as a retirement annuity, the way he structured it. But one of the other questions I had for you was, didn't he actually propose this structure to the Dodgers? And in fact, he proposed it to a couple of other teams also so he took this structure to them as opposed to them imposing it on him
1: you know you're exactly right jim this was otani's idea or his agent's idea not sure which or a combination of both but they really believed that i think there's there's two two reasons they did this one is when you're the highest paid player in a sport, I think it, it could make you sound a bit greedy. And I think there could be a backlash by a certain segment of our population in the fan base. Mm-hmm. So I think by him taking $2 million per year, he could say he did it for the betterment of the team and the chances of winning. So at a minimum, This should diffuse any resentment, envy, or whatever from Dodger fans at a minimum. On the flip side of it, though, is I think he wanted that $700 million number as almost a branding element. And I realize these two things are in almost direct opposition with one another, but I think he sort of covered both sides of this by branding himself as the $700 million man, which is astronomical, while at the same time doing it in such a way that he accommodates the Dodgers' ability to add talent to make them a winner,
0: let's come back to his brand. Now, you mentioned that he's already earned and he's, of course, with the angels, the the other Southern California baseball team, he's uh, or he was with the Angels. He's currently earning between forty and fifty million dollars a year in sponsorships. But by moving to the Dodgers, which is a bigger, more global brand, if you will, I dare say that 40 to 50 million a year, that could be 100 million a year. And plus the fact he's not only, he will not only be a superstar in the United States, he's off the charts a superstar in Japan. Where, or I think he has some other sponsorships. Could you give us a sense of that? Who are his sponsors? Who can he look to to continue to pay him this forty, fifty million plus per year in sponsorships?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a, a wide range. I mean, he's he. It's a universal play here. There's, you know, he's not a pigeonhole. He he's broken the mold by being not only iconic, but and one of the reasons he is iconic is that he's this first-ever accomplished two-way player Mm -hmm. of a player who pitches at a very high level. Objectively, he's probably a top 10 to 15 pitcher in Major League Baseball, and if he pitched only, and that's all he did, he would clearly be a top 10 pitcher, maybe even a top 5 pitcher Mm -hmm. in baseball. At the same time, He is probably a top five offensive threat in the game of baseball by not only his hitting, his power, also his base running. He's one of the fastest players on the diamond, which is, you know, it's incredible. He's really a one of a kind, he's really a unicorn. So I do think that all of those things combined Give him a wide open platform to go wherever he wants, and who and I, I think that if anything, he's going to, and he's continues to do this, pick and choose who he wants to be associated with, so that so that he doesn't overexpose himself and saturate the market. The other part of this that I think is fascinating is despite everything I've just said, he's a very private person. He really shields himself from the public eye. He's drawn into it naturally, so he, he can do that and not lose anything for it. But in a strange way, or maybe not, a bit of the paradox here is I think that makes him even more appealing to sponsors and more curious fans Because he's not out there every day speaking his mind and telling you all about himself. He's letting it happen on the field.
0: Which makes him even more attractive, I think, to many fans, because we've gotten so used to high-profile individuals, sports people who are not afraid to state their opinions and that kind of thing. He's one of a kind, without question. Another question that I had for you was, it looks as though he's left money on the table. How do you respond to that, Vince?
1: I definitely think he has left money on the table when this was all coming down over the month leading up to the signing by the Dodgers. I was one of the people and I wasn't alone that thought that probably the floor for his deal was 500 million and that the upside was probably close to 600 million. And again, I'm talking in over a 10 year time frame without the deferral again treating this as a 460 million dollar deal so in my opinion he probably left at least 10% income opportunity on the table and again i think it reflects you know he's he's not i mean at some point he wanted all of the other elements to fall into place and it's less so about the incremental dollars once you get to this incredible high level of dollars and i think He valued being on the West Coast. He valued being not in New York. Frankly, the Northeast has such rabid, it's so baseball centric that in Boston and New York and Philadelphia to pick three cities out with four clubs, that would have been the greatest and brightest spotlight. And I'm not sure they could have shielded him from the media Mm -hmm. and helped shield him from the media the way the Angels did in many ways. And even, I do think he's right on the fringes of of getting, uh, you know, having no privacy here with the Dodgers because talking about an iconic brand, but but I still think it'll be a little different than things in New York or Boston or Philly.
0: Let's talk about the financial aspects of this deal, because effectively, the Dodgers, the LA Dodgers Incorporated, whatever the, the, the corporate entity calls itself these days, they are going to have the use of this, of over half a billion dollars worth of money that would have normally gone to the player, they will have the use of that for, for 10 years until the first yeah. payment goes to him in 2039. And again, the stream of income of $46 million a year when he'll be... 39 years old. So, talk to me about that because that's a it's a windfall for for the for the Dodgers and let's not forget that the owner of the Dodgers, Walter, is the head of Guggenheim Partners, which is one of the largest investment companies in, on the West Coast. So, he's a very savvy financial engineer himself. So, effectively the Dodgers with the through their owner Walter will have an opportunity to invest for its own account $500, 600000000 million that otherwise would have been paid out to Otani. And Otani isn't getting any benefit of that in the 10 years prior to his first payout.
1: Jim, I'm not sure I could have said it any better myself, so I, I should have known a former investment banker putting this on the table, but that was my first thought when I heard about the structure of this deal. I said, you know, if this were the average MLB owner who cut this deal, uh-huh. that would be pretty cool for them. But with the Guggenheim Partners element of this, I mean, you give a first-rate hedge fund that kind of capital yes i mean th- this could be i don't want to say it's going to be a free deal when it's all said and done but i mean this is it's incredible in terms of the return that he might get by the way when when i gave you that 46 times 10 that's a using a discount rate of only 4.4 percent mm-hmm. which is what mlb uses to calculate their their luxury tax on deferred payments well, if you start talking about an eight, a ten, or twelve percent return from what they can do, the Dodgers with this money, I mean think about how much of the deferred payments that just eats up completely. So this deal and by the way let's not forget they're going to earn they're going to sell merchandise with his name yes. on it. Now the merchandise they sell outside of the Southern California area is going to be divided 30 ways. Mm-hmm. But by you know cuz it's MLB revenue they sell it in Chicago or if they sell it in Japan. But the local market revenues are not trivial. The reports are that the Angels were we're generating $20, $25 million a year just on jersey sales and other things. There's already been, I believe, a ticket price increase or one certainly in the wind for the Dodgers. So we'll have that way to monetize this. This deal looks better and better from the team standpoint the more I think about it. And I think you're exactly right the what they could do with that money.
0: Well, in fact, it gives... Here's here, This will be a moment of truth for the management of the L.A. Dodgers. Will they use this windfall for the benefit of the partners? Will they use this windfall for the benefit of the franchise? If they use it for the latter, for the benefit of the franchise, it gives the L.A. Dodgers even more powder, if you will, to go out and make additional acquisitions. I just read this morning they've signed up the other Japanese phenom, Yamamoto, to a contract not as lucrative, not as rich as the uh, Otani contract, but nevertheless, a 400 million plus. I think it's a 400 million plus uh, contract. So uh, so it remains to be seen how the owners of the LA Dodgers are going to manage this windfall that's been put in their lap. Will it be for the benefit of the partners? Will it be for the benefit of the team?
1: It's a good question, but I think we're beginning to get the answer already in the fact that you what you just mentioned is that Yoshinobu Yamamoto was signed is being signed for the highest contract ever offered ever paid to a major league pitcher at least that's what's been reported mm-hmm. and so we're talking about the highest paid position player if that's what you'll call otani and the highest paid pitcher so i think we're sh- we're starting to see that they are spending that back and i think there's good reason for that i think they have an opportunity or a window to become the premier franchise in sports franchise in in north america and certainly within the baseball world and that means literally unseating the New York Yankees from their iconic status now they don't quite have the history they have a great storied history the Dodgers Mm -hmm. not quite as legendary as the Yankees but when you couple it with what we might see for the next 10 years I think I don't want to say they leave the Yankees in the dust but I think the marquee franchise in all of baseball is about to become the LA Dodgers with the Yankees Cubs and perhaps Mets and Red Sox uh, trailing behind Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a real opportunity and what that could mean is it could an eight or ten billion dollar valuation in another mm. five years for the LA Dodgers, a, a club that I believe they bought from the McCourt's out of bankruptcy for a little over two billion dollars. Amazing. So I think we're really there's some there's a real play here that's very interesting.
0: Of course, as you know, the LA Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants are huge rivals. So all that you say is probably not going to sit well with a lot of San Francisco Giants fans. But uh, in any case, I I do agree with your valuation if management reinvest those funds in talent such as they've done with Yamamoto that augurs very well for the franchise. Let's just come back to the management because you know on the one hand I thought that perhaps Otani left money on the table but in another respect he has a key man life clause which may which require Walter and Friedman to remain in place with the Dodgers during that 10-year lead-up period. And I'm not sure if it also applies during the 10-year payout period, but certainly in the in the lead-up, it locks them in. Tell us about that key man life provision, because it's almost as though Otani cut a deal with Walter, the owner, Friedman. Uh, is he the CFO? He cut a deal with those two individuals, and he wants them to stick around... Until such time as the payouts begin. And in the event that one or both of them leave, all bets are off and the deal stops. What are your thoughts about that yeah. key man life provision?
1: Well, that's really probably equally unusual to the deferral of the, of the compensation. And yes, Walters is the principal owner and Friedman is the president of baseball operations. So he's the top baseball executive in the organization Mm -hmm. and so i find it fascinating that the deal was structured that way which means that friedman andrew friedman should be guaranteed a job for the next 10 years (laughs) and of course walter will either sell the team whatever he likes or not but again he'll sell it potentially without otani if he sells it Mm -hmm. because otani can walk at that point so it's really interesting, and I'm curious as to why those two individuals were signaled out. I'm sure they they took a lead role in the uh, in the whole positioning of the club to Otani. But then you've got Stan Kasten, who's the CEO of of the Dodgers, who is also a key person in the deal. And maybe we'll see when this contract is ultimately unveiled, if we ever get the details of it, that there's more than just Friedman and Walter as the key men. But clearly Otani saw something in them that he wanted to wanted that to remain mm-hmm. as the sort of guardians of the culture of the organization.
0: Let's come back to the fact that you have his bicultural you know, he's a he's a superstar in Japan. He is already a superstar in the United States, but even a greater superstar. Is there any other baseball legend that is equally high-profile in two different countries, two major baseball-playing countries as he is?
1: Well, the— <laughs> The only one I would say is Babe Ruth, literally, and that, you know we're talking a century ago, mm-hmm. but, but Babe Ruth on his uh, trip to trips, I think it was multiple trips, but one of them, the more notable one, I believe was 1934 to Japan. Uh-huh. He was instrumental in advancing the sport in Japan and became a very noted, noted figure in that country and, of course, was iconic here in the U.S. and and really was globally known, although the information flow globally back in the nineteen twenties wasn't wasn't anything like obviously it is today. So I mean, I don't think there's anything in recent times. I mean, if you look across other sports, you'd have to go to Michael Jordan or perhaps Kobe Bryant. Who had the international global recognition mm-hmm. that that Otani is is having uh, today in baseball? And there's never been a baseball player, short again of of Ruth, Babe Ruth, to to have this in the modern era.
0: It's amazing. He embarks on his career with the L.A. Dodgers with this global reputation and presence, and he's coming on board as a very clean cut, decent ethical player it's it's just uh it's one for the history books i would say
1: it is jim and one other thing we didn't mention and i want to make sure your listeners know this most of them who follow this will he's coming off of elbow surgery so he's not even going to pitch in 2024 and he will hopefully pitch in 2025 and beyond. So here, this great two-way player is literally out of commission because he had the famed Tommy John surgery to repair the ulnar collateral ligament. And he won't be able to play the field at all in 24. And by the way, this is his second procedure Mm. on that same ligament. So some people have held up quite well after their second procedure, but we're not sure how this is going to work. So there is some risk there, but even so, we don't think it will affect his hitting and he is a prolific bat and he will be one for the Dodgers.
0: Well, here in San Francisco, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing him uh, at bat when uh, Dodgers play the San Francisco Giants here in town. I'm sure that'll be coming up. That will be on the calendar in 2024. But Vince, let's move on from our discussion of Showtime Otani. Let's move on to your academic career. You serve mm-hmm. as the Associate Dean at the Tisch Global Sports School. Talk to me about the, the program, NYU's program at the uh, Tisch Institute of Global Sport. And also talk to me about business education in general.
1: Sure. Yeah, six and a half years ago, I came down to NYU in the Greenwich Village and became the Associate Dean of a... Uh, of our sports offerings we have three degree programs two master's degrees and one bachelor degree program in sport management it's a it's an inc- about 650 students total in those mm. three programs 10 full-time faculty and then a 40 or so adjunct faculty who are working in the industry of course being in the sports capital of the world new york city where many of the leagues and and some of the marquee venues are located, is a real benefit to that, to being here, but also sports business has grown to this mega industry Mm -hmm. over the last decade or 15 years, and what you're seeing is an incredible number of young people are finding this as something that they want to do for their careers and are seeking out either a bachelor's degree or or some who get a bachelor's degree in other disciplines want to follow it up with a master's degree in sports business to be able to transition into into the industry and so that's kind of some of the foundation of why this, in, this area is growing because of the popularity of sports.
0: Mm-hmm. And, the, of course, the Tisch Institute being at NYU, and, of course, as you said, uh, New York is the, the global capital of the sports industry and underscore the term industry. Are there any other universities that come close to doing what, what the Tisch Institute does?
1: Well, certainly there's there's other schools that have sports business, sports management programs. There are, In fact, there are many around the country. Out on the West Coast, the University of San Francisco has a wonderful sports management program. I, I, I think at the graduate level, I'm not sure about the undergraduate level, USC is another one out on the West Coast. I think we're a little bit different in that many sports business and sports management programs are very much marketing sports marketing focused we are perhaps the only one that i know of who has a career investment banker on our full-time faculty Mm -hmm. david abrams spent time at merrill he spent time at bear stearns and is still involved today as part of inner circle sports very much involved in sports financing deals working on the new st petersburg tampa bay rays stadium working uh, in nashville on the football stadium so that element you could get a robust sports finance education in our department and that's not so common around other programs. Uh, So I think that's one of the differentiators of what we do.
0: As we were talking off the air, there are a number of banks out there, and there there are few, but there are a number of banks out there that also specialize in sports franchise financing both the acquisition of sports franchises and the and also building of stadium of so that is a specialty that's a financing specialty that does exist mostly new york based banks specialize in that again i can see how uh, young men or women who are attracted to uh, to the tisch institute would then have opportunities from a career point of view to go to work for banks that do provide acquisition financing and also construction financing for, for new facilities. Of course, in Las Vegas, the Oakland A's, who will be moving from Oakland to Las Vegas, somewhat controversially here in the Bay Area, of course, but they'll be moving to Las Vegas. A new ballpark is going to be constructed in Las Vegas and of course is going to acquire some financing. So, you know, some terrific opportunities that are out there for young men and women. And then, and then of course, we have Major League Soccer, which is now a which is coming into its own. We also have the perfusion of women's sports. I'm thinking of the WNBA. So in addition to MLB, NHL, NFL, and NBA, the traditional four big sports associations you also have major league soccer you have the women's nba etc so they are growing so the need for capital the need for acquisition financing is growing and it's not only growing here in the united states but it looks as though in in the uk there are great acquisition opportunity financing opportunities for major league soccer
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it—it's it, truly a global business. One of our degree programs, we—one uh, of our graduate programs, our M.S. in Global Sport—we actually take our students four different weeks abroad in fact in a few weeks in january they'll be heading to abu dhabi for a week and then we're we'll taking them to sao paulo brazil for a week and then we'll go to london for a week in the summer next summer in august so we are very much tuned into and we have to be these days if you're going to be in the sports business to the global market so it's fascinating what's going on around the world
0: mm-hmm well, Vince, you've had a fascinating career. We didn't even touch on your corporate career with, uh, with Pepsi, but you've had a fascinating career as a consultant to uh, Major League Baseball teams, as a very successful, best-selling author, also as, as a broadcaster with Sirius XM. Uh, Are there any other major projects that you're working on at this point that you'd like to share with us?
1: Well, Jimmy, you know one that I would mention is each year for the last I think thirteen years now, I produce a baseball analytics case competition called the Diamond Dollars Case Competition, Diamond Dollars named after my book. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we do it out at, during spring training in in March in Phoenix at the Sabre Analytics Conference so this coming year it it'll, it'll the conference is march 8 9 and 10 in downtown phoenix and what i'll do is i'll write a case that taxes students and you know asks students to use their analytical skills and data Skills to solve a, a strategic question within the game of a baseball. In the past, I've done cases where we've we've had to value players like a Shohei Otani type. Uh-huh. Although I don't do that when I do them in March because that's sort of off-cycle from the free agent signing window. But a couple of years ago, I did a case on evaluating the rule changes that baseball was contemplating and how would we put a dollar amount on how on how those would be valued or how how much time would they save you know, during a game because they're trying to shorten the game? So once again, this year, without giving anything away as to what the case will be, we'll have student teams from around the country join in and come to Phoenix and participate. And it's a it's a really exciting time. And in fact, one of the past winners of the case competition has been the Stanford team uh-huh. right there from Northern Cal. And there's been a, a, a number of winners. Actually, Wash U in St. Louis has been a repeat winner. And my alma mater, University of Chicago... Booth School of Business has been a multiple winner over the over the 13 years. So those are the two, Wash you and, and U of Chicago, that have won the most. But the overall, we've had 10 or 12 different winners. And usually we get 20 or so student teams. And the judges are executives for Major League Baseball teams who are right uh-huh. there in Phoenix during spring training. Of course. So it's assistant GMs and data analysts and so forth in the club. So it's a fun time.
0: And Vince, how can our listeners follow you?
1: Probably the best way is on Twitter, it's at Vince Gennaro, or my website, VinceGennaro.com, is another way to uh, learn a little bit more about me and stay in touch.
0: Well, Vince, I want to thank you very much for shedding light on the Otani contract, also telling us about the Tisch Institute for Global Sport, and then, of course, your upcoming sabre competition uh, coming up in the spring It's spring training down in phoenix so uh, once again thank you for joining us and look forward to having you back as our resident expert when it comes to baseball and all things finance with uh, major league teams
1: well jim it's been a pleasure being on with you and thanks so much and happy to do it again sometime
0: terrific and for our listeners today's episode is number 485 listen to us on apple podcast spotify pandora 18 platforms in total, with listeners in 60 countries. Feedspot has recently recognized the podcast as a top 25 California news podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience Podcast with Jim Herlihy, coming to you from San Francisco.